This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Happy New Year. Con Giovanni, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. It's the history of the Tottenham. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. It was a weekend in which all of the big Premier League sides won in very unspectacular fashion, and it was really just not very exciting at all. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Declan Hart, and joining me is Andrew Conway. Hello, Declan. Andrew, what is there to even talk about? Champions League, the European Leagues, nothing really happened. You're really bigging up this uh, Premier League product uh, from this this weekend and yeah, I suppose it wasn't alone in its kind of demure aspect of football. Nowhere really was that exciting this weekend. I watched a fair few matches and nothing really blew me away. I suppose there's a couple of of things like the last few minutes of the Newcastle-Everton match was kind of exciting when when Everton scored a goal. Uh, The rest of it wasn't that exciting and I suppose... Aston Villa scoring two late goals to make it interesting in a 4-3 defeat was kind of interesting. But the the two teams that kind of went away with the league at the beginning of, of the campaign um, have now fallen away. Villa and Everton are now definitely not in that kind of outside chance Leicester City zone anymore. And the usual contenders have kind of uh, ratcheted themselves up for the for the league. And it's kind of, we're back to square one. It almost status quo has been restored and... The season starts here, if you will. It's November now, and uh, a lot of weird things have happened in this year, I suppose. And and you know, it's still more weird things will probably still happen. But you know, the currently up, not up near the top, but one of the weird things that's happened is Manchester United have still yet to win a match uh, at home in Old Trafford uh, this season in the Premier League. Yeah, they were the only big side not to win this weekend, and that was, you know, because they were playing a different big side, so one of them yeah. at least had to not win. Uh, that match in and of itself, which we'll talk about later, was also just dreadful. Uh, so just very little to enjoy <laughs> about this weekend. Like, I think you're right, like, the status quo did kind of assert itself again, which makes sense considering, you know, one of the reasons that we kind of attributed the crazy start of the season was the fact that the big sides were kind of lacking match fitness and now they've all played mm-hmm. uh, enough that they're all kind of up to speed um, you know like you know the wins for Liverpool and Man City just you know neither side played that well they didn't play that terribly in the way that they kind of were earlier in the season mm. so like they just kind of won in that grindy kind of way that big sides tend to do which is really anticlimactic way to watch a football match like I thought the Liverpool West Ham match in particular because like West Ham did take the lead in that game, you know they did take the game by the scruff of the neck at various points. They did have a goal, um, you know it's probably one of the better David Moyes performances away at a big side because he's never won away at a big side before, uh, in all his time managing in the Premier League, <laughs> um, particularly Anfield, <laughs> uh, where he was average manager for so long couldn't get that result, um, but they did take the lead and then that equaliser came around half time I think it was and yeah then they didn't really create anything in the second half and then Liverpool just kind of created that one chance and, and got the goal from it. So, like, that was a particularly just kind of boring game. Like, I think it said yeah. a lot that Nat Phillips was given man of the match who's a 23-year-old defender that they just kind of have in the team from before. Yeah, um, yeah it was just a well, grim weekend. Yeah, you've kind of uh, unearthed a bit of a point there because I believe Gabriel won man of the match in the Manchester United-Arsenal match and I think... Uh, 
uh, I've almost already forgotten his name, the the Chelsea goalkeeper, Edward Mendy. Got, Edward Mendy definitely got plaudits for keeping the the first time keeping a a third consecutive clean sheet for a new goalkeeper since Petr Cech at Chelsea. Um, yeah, so it, it's you're seeing a shift away from the attacking play that we've maybe associated with the Premier League in recent years, and it's definitely become more of a more of a dicey game, more of a very small margins between teams. And I know we'll talk about Manchester United later on, but I do, I do think it's a case that every team and in the top echelons of the of the league, even though you know United and Arsenal started this weekend and in the bottom half of the table, they are considered one of the top six every one of those teams has kind of gone back to basics and like, okay, defence first and we'll worry about attack later. And I count Liverpool in that as well. And I count Man City in it. Both put in fairly uninspiring performances and did the bare minimum to get a result in the, in their matches. You know, you can say there there's obvious questions around uh, Mo Salah's penalty. There was contact. And I suppose if you go down, they can be given. I don't think it was the most outrageous dive or some of the... the publicity around the decision has kind of I think been blown out of proportion I'm sure Mo Salah won't get a next few penalties uh, as a result of that or next few tackles he he goes down under in the box won't be given but yeah I, I, I think Liverpool probably would have done enough in that match I think a crucial stat that kind of came out when I was watching that match uh, the commentators I forget who they were but they said that Liverpool have played seven matches in October compared to West Ham's four and given that West Ham had uh, less miles under the under their legs, it's not unsurprising that they kind of started stronger in the match. And in in fairness, did kind of keep Liverpool in check for a lot of the game. But it's it's fair to say that Liverpool were the superior side by the time full time came around, and they probably had more gears to grind through if necessary. Yeah, like I think that the that that will actually swing around I think at some point in the future yeah. uh, and yeah. that we'll get those crazy results again at some point in the league but I think right yeah. now we're just in that lull where the big teams are all fit enough but not quite that fit like none of them are at their best like there's no team playing at their absolute best no. at the moment but they're all fit enough now that they can grind out those wins that they usually get when they play in European games like this is generally a period of the season where the top teams don't play as well on the Saturday and the Sunday because they've had matches midweek like this yeah. is all pretty normal um, it's just the contrast with what was happening before the Champions League came back that I think has kind of made it even worse uh, and just it's it's more obvious now just uh, mm. how poor some of the games can be when every, everyone's a little bit tired and like you've touched on a thing there with the Salah and the penalties and I've seen a lot of discussion around kind of what it means like the philosophy behind penalties and what they what mm-hmm. they mean what deserves to be a penalty and uh, you know we're actually recording live during the Tottenham match and Tottenham have just scored from a penalty from Harry Kane um, I don't know if you know that but uh, you know it was a pretty weird penalty as well right on the edge of the box um, Adam Lallana falls over Harry Kane in a really weird way literally on the line like it was initially given as a free kick and I was given to Vera. Like I, I, I don't think you're watching this. So like this is all news to you. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. So, like it, it is very similar. Of like, uh, like I've seen some people say, you know, it's very harsh that something that wasn't anywhere near a goal scoring chance is now being given, you know, a seventy six percent chance of scoring a goal because that's the general wisdom conversion rate of what a penalty is in in football. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think on the other side of that, you know. It, the box define you know the, the definition of a box makes defending more difficult and defending should be difficult you know and, and it makes it you know seeing more penalties means more goals but it yeah. is when penalties are the only goals we're seeing in games it is getting a little tedious 
yeah, the game needs to adapt a bit in terms of its defensive style because even the, uh, multiple times now, there's, there we're probably going to get to a, a place where we're going to have nearly a goal, a penalty per game by the time the end of the season comes. At the rate that their the growth rate of penalties being given is, is going, like a few years ago, you barely ever see two penalties a match, and now it's not a it's not a talking point anymore. You know, um, was it last season? Did Manchester United get three or four penalties in one match against Norwich City, or is it just three? Like that, yeah. Year, you, that would be an absolute huge news story. <laughs> It'd be like, what's good? The game is gone. Maybe ten years ago, but now it's kind of okay. Yeah, there's three challenges in the box, and there. That's how the cookie crumbles. With yeah, the penalty, the penalty rules. Like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of Chiro Mobley last season in Serie A, scoring what seventeen penalties out of the thirty-four all goals he scored. Half, half the goals he scored were penalties, and he scored a lot of penalties. Um, yeah, so that I, I, it could be that the the game will become like that, but there will be a reset point when defenders realize what's happening, and I think we're already seeing it in a lot of cases. You, you know, it's an evolution of tactical fouling is adjusting where you actually give away a foul and a lot of a lot of teams are being very clever now and well if you want to call it clever but I see a lot of players going to ground outside the box in and usually giving away a free kick but generally unless you're James Ward-Prowse the probability of you scoring a free kick is quite low uh, from the edge of the box while you know obviously 76% conversion rate while you're in the box and now they're being given a lot more it, it, it does make sense for tactical fouling to evolve a bit more and I think that's what we'll see in the coming years teams will adjust to like make sure if they're going to if if, if they're any risk of a player getting into the box they don't want to risk giving away a penalty anymore or a handball or anything like that and they'll just take the player out outside the box it'll become the new you know breakaway yellow card when you're in the center circle and you take out a player and you get you take the yellow card i think that's what will happen uh, and, that, and that was pretty much the Premier League weekend then like not <laughs> not, not already happened besides that main Arsenal game which we'll talk about later but uh in the news then, you know, uh, the Barcelona board, including the president, uh, Bartomeu, resigned uh, from their positions this week. Uh, is is this ultimately the, the saving grace for Barcelona or is this just kind of a a random move politically? Well, he had to do it because he, he had committed to doing it in the summer and I suppose the timing was a bit weird and then the, the uh, proclamation that they're going to join the European Super League came from nowhere. Um, I don't think it's going to be the, you know, this isn't going to be the silver bullet that's going to save uh, Barcelona from whatever is happening in Barcelona there there in the midst of a, a clean upper object <clears throat> probably one of the biggest in Europe but they're not the only ones Real Madrid are in that zone as well they just have the the comfort of, of somehow winning La Liga and, and, and just kind of skating above the, the recklessness of Barcelona below them um, I think there's a couple of years to happen I think Ronald Koeman is, is most definitely a transition manager while they prepare for the future whatever that may be whether it's with Leo Messi or not like and you know, as I said in earlier shows, I would let Messi go and and try to rebuild the club. And you know, he may, he may be the greatest player of all time, but you have to if you're not going to actually build a team around him and use the rest, you know, create a a, a structure for him to flourish. You may as well get rid of him from the team. And it's something I, I want to talk about in a, in a future point as well. Is like at what point do players designated players within a side become detrimental to the growth of the whole team? And at the moment, I think Messi is that, despite him being by far and away the best player in the squad and still creating the majority of their goals and finishing a lot of them as well. Um, I think Barcelona are a couple of years away from being in some kind of new world, and I don't know what that looks like yet, whether it's with Messi or not, and whether it's with an entirely new board, a new manager, a new structure of the club, a new way of playing football, maybe. Yeah, because my understanding is the presidential election will be tr- has now been triggered and that it will happen within the next 90 days, which pretty much brings us to... 
the end of Christmas, January, yeah. I think, yeah, because yeah. uh, there's about 60 days left in the year. We yeah. are in November after all now, so... Um, oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Um, this year's flown by, hasn't it? Nothing's really happened in 2020. Oh, yeah, yeah, just nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, a couple of the presidential candidates, including Victor Font, uh, who's been pretty high profile amongst all this, has said that as part of his manifesto, he wants to bring back... Pep Guardiola, who was asked about this after the Sheffield United match, and he said his era as coach is over. Um, yeah. At Barcelona, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, like it, it is very different to what we see at, at almost any other club. Um, yeah, except for Real Madrid, it's the except only. For, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's not outrageous. I remember um, what uh, Laporta, uh, who who was Barcelona president under the first Pep regime, kind of uh, from and Rijkaard on. I think he won three European cups or at least two while uh, the president of Barcelona, and he was elected on the promise that they signed David Beckham, even though they had no ability to do that. And in the end, the, they managed to get Ronaldinho, who turned out probably to be a better signing for them in the longer term. Um, certainly helped them win more Champions Leagues than Beckham helped Real Madrid win in his time there. But, you know, promises are made all the time, and, and they're broken, and especially when it comes to football. I, I, I wouldn't read too much into them saying, like, oh, they're going to bring in Pep Guardiola and restore order to the chaos I think he'll bring in somebody new He, they always do they have to bring in their own man and probably things will change at the club but it doesn't necessarily have to be Pep Guardiola it's just maybe someone in his mould is, is what he'll get in the end someone high profile no doubt yeah I think it's just more of a sign of you know things are about to get a bit crazy for Barcelona in terms of the promises that people are going to start oh, making oh yeah, yeah. Like it is signings a- will be promised and yeah Kitties will be promised, but like at the moment, Barcelona are in financial, not financial despair, but they're in bad enough t- times considering they're the, the highest revenue club in the world, I think, at the moment, or at the last uh, Deloitte power rankings or whatever you want to call it. They're not being managed particularly well on the financial side. So I think that will be step one. And you can ignore any promises they're making of lavish signings and naming name players or managers because they need to sort out a lot of stuff underneath the hood before they even come close to doing that. And then, you know, we've mentioned Real Madrid. They struggled to a, a two-all draw midweek against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Their kind of Champions League status this season kind of hangs in the balance and is probably the most interesting uh, group in the competition left now. Yeah, like I, I didn't expect Barcelona, or not Barcelona, Real Madrid to be in such a precarious situation after two matches. In, in fairness, it could have been worse. They were comprehensively outplayed in both matches for large periods of time and those teams didn't take full advantage of all their chances. And, you know... Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach were very unlucky to be pegged back as late as they were in the match but that stuff happens when you have Sergio Ramos playing in centre forward even if he was wayward for two, for the two goals they conceded um, yeah so you're you're looking at um, you're looking at a tough little uh, encounter for, for Real Madrid they are playing back to back now in these games both games uh, against I've just oh I've forgotten the team already uh, they're playing Inter Milan next yeah they're playing Inter Milan back to back so you know Conte's record in Europe is not fantastic Italian clubs record against Real Madrid in recent years isn't fantastic so or against Spanish clubs in general if, I, if I'm thinking correctly with the way Napoli did against Barcelona last year um, so I, I still say Real Madrid would be favourites for these ties because in both of the games they came back with a vengeance they showed a bit of their class they just have a pretty weak underbelly and I'm not sure if the players that Inter Milan have have the same qualities that say I forgot Turam's first name um, Marcus Marcus Turam has although I suppose he does share some of the the physical attributes of of a couple of Inter Milan striking players but they don't have the pace and the speed and the quickness in counter and quickness in pressing that um, Gladbach and the kids at uh, 
Shakhtar Donetsk uh, showed in those first two games. So I would I would side on the on the side of Real Madrid in these and going forward and getting out of the group because that's just what happens with Real Madrid in the Champions League in the last ten years. Yeah, like they did uh, perform better at the weekend. They won, I think it was 3 1 uh, midweek or on Saturday. I can't quite remember against two. Eden Hazard scored, I think, only a second goal for the clubs and siding for uh, what was it, 80, 90 million 18 months ago or 15 months ago. It was a good goal, to be fair, but it just shows how rotten a time he's had at the club. And I suppose if they can bring him back to full fitness now, he will be a, a pretty useful asset for them in the Champions League. Yeah, the only problem is they have uh, abundance of players to play in Eden Hazard's position, and I'm not sure if he's the the best one to suit their system anymore. Vinicius, I think, is is very clever and very uh, gifted in terms of dribbling, and he's I think he's quicker than Eden Hazard, which is uh, something that doesn't go in Eden Hazard's way. So uh, I don't know what will happen with him in that team in the longer term. I'd say he's going to be the, the old Eden Hazard of putting him in the middle and hoping something happens uh, when the left is really his zone. And then in the Europa League, Dundalk lost 3-0 to Arsenal on Thursday. It was the first competitive game between Irish and English club in quite a long time. And uh, it'd be nice to see yeah. more of it. Yeah, it was a good amount of years since the last one. I don't actually remember when the last one definitely was. I remember there was Champions League ties with St. Pat's in the early I think it was 2000. I think Tottenham played... Um, oh, Tottenham played Dundalk in like 2016 or 15. It hasn't actually been that long. It was 2011, I think. Uh, Harry oh, Redknapp. was it that long ago? I think it was Harry Redknapp, yeah. In the I, Europa League. I think yeah. it was Shamrock Rovers that time. Was it? Did it not, not get into a group stage? I, uh, anyway, yeah, Dundalk put up a good show. They've not been great in the League of Ireland this year. They're, they're struggling to get into a top three finish. Um... And really, they're showing the signs of the of the age of that squad. I think it needs to be broken up and rebuilt again, and I think it probably will be. Um, but they, I think they put up a good show of themselves against Arsenal. They they didn't embarrass themselves by any stretch of the imagination. Arsenal kind of went through the gears a bit and created some chances and, and put them away and then kind of shut the system down and, and cruised to, to a, a comfortable victory in the end without really put, putting themselves too, too much on the cosh. Um I'd be interested to see how they do in the the next couple of games because um, they're playing Vienna and against uh, Michelin in the first game, Shamrock or not Dundalk put in a good show, and they could, probably could have got a result out of that, those matches. And I don't think uh, Vienna are, are two great strikes either. So I, I'd be interested to see if they if the same resolute dogged performance could could render a result for them. Yeah, and you know, hopefully we get to see a bit more of Irish teams competing in Europe. Uh, I think Shamrock Rovers were crowned League of Ireland winners there just last week, so uh, mm-hmm. they'll get to have a good stab at it um, next time the qualification campaign comes around next year. Yeah, because they won't have much more time given how European competition is going if there is a European Super League or indeed if there is a massive restructure in 2024 of the European competitions. It's likely that uh, we won't have these big against small clashes for much longer. Yeah, with the what is the name of that third competition you have to imagine that's where Irish clubs will maybe settle into um, when that starts which I think is next season actually so I think there's three qualifying spots open for Irish clubs going into next season so uh, nice opportunities there I guess for uh, whatever teams fill in those three three spots yeah yeah it is um, I do yearn yearn for the days of uh, the Cup Winners Cup and a proper UEFA Cup and then the European Cup on top of them and them mattering a lot more but uh, I suppose we'll, we're stuck with the lot we have at the moment yeah and uh, just finally Diego Maradona turned 60 this week which you know fair play <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. been a, it's been a long 60 years for uh, Maradona and it's truly been a 60, slow yeah. news week 
Yeah, it truly has been Maradona saying he'll score another goal with his hand, with his, ro- with his right hand this time or something against England. He's just trolling people and just being Diego Maradona, really. And it's more amazing he's lasted this long, considering if you remember 20 years ago how crazy his life had become and how obese he was and how teetering on the on the brink of you know the end and then since then he's managed Argentina in a world cup he's gone around the world he's played in uh played and managed in like international charity games and he's kind of just been the becoming the old grandfather of football even though he's had such a crazy life um so yeah fair play to Maradona for lasting this long this kick can decide it all The nation holds its breath. Yes, we're there! It's a beautiful day. It was once the biggest rivalry in the country, the fixture both sets of fans dreaded and enjoyed more than any other. But nowadays, it is safe to say that all Manchester United and Arsenal have left is the nostalgia for those good old days. Arsenal won on Sunday 1-0 thanks to an Aubameyang penalty, but how was this match and where does it leave both sides? Well, I know how you feel about it, but I thought it was better than Manchester United-Chelsea of last week, even though the, the weather was comparably bad and it was wet and drizzly and there was missed passes all over the place and there didn't seem to be any real uh, biting threat from either side for the most part in the match. Um... I thought it was a bit better than 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 previous encounters between these two sides, um, but yeah, the, it, there's nothing to write home about about two sides in the in the bottom half of the Premier League as both of them were at kickoff and how really they've fallen so far. Um, I was thinking about this earlier and it's something we might revisit at another time. But I was I was looking at the the two teams that were lining out and was like, okay, who out of these t- players on the 22 players on the field starting the match would make it into a Premier League? 11 like the best players in the league and you're struggling really really are like it was an argument for Aubameyang but then a lot of players that play in his position you're maybe Marcus Rashford but you're having the same a problem like Pogba who should be in that team of 11 isn't there's no one really else in Arsenal you can make an argument maybe for Kieran Tierney as a as a left back um but again he's against Andy Robertson in that in that position and you're you're looking and like wow the the mighty have fallen considering where these teams were even 10 years ago when they played against each other um I remember was it was that the Nazri match when he scored two goals, but at that point they were still you know Arsenal were still in the top four easily and still somewhat challenging for the league title. And Manchester United were still winning league titles. Um, and yeah, now what do you have? Like there's no Cristiano Ronaldo, no even Wayne Rooney, no Carlos Tevez, Dimitar Berbatov, no you know Cesc Fabregas, no Nazri as I mentioned, no Adebayor, no Van Persie, no. You could, the list goes on and on. Like now you're at what. Um, Harry Maguire playing as auxiliary centre forward for 20 minutes of a match. Uh, the same old play to Juan Bazak or Luke Shaw for them to cross the ball in. Bruno Fernandes uh, not being completely absent for the match again, and that seems to happen a lot when he plays against big teams. Uh, Marcus Rashford just being given the ball to do something with it, not, not having any cohesive in the attack. And then on the other side of his Arsenal, just you know having a very functional and and good setup with decent players in it, but having no bite, no having no incision, having no way of creating chances for their for their top goal scorer, and having no real performance out of their other attacking players uh, like Willian and Lacazette really aren't at a required level for a Champions League team at this stage in their careers, and it kind of it's a it's a sad state of affairs for both clubs really if you if you take a step back and look at it and you're like wow the mighty have fallen. 
Yeah, like before in the build up to the game, Sky rolled kind of uh, a nostalgia piece on the greatness of this fixture in 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 the good old days, and mm. you know I I vividly remember watching I think it was a Channel Four documentary on you know the bitter rivalry between Ferguson and Wenger, um, mm-hmm. and this match was just such a far cry from that. Like watching this made me want to smash my face in with a brick. Um, it was just <laughs> a bit, a bit extreme, a bit extreme. It was it one of the, it was one of the worst matches I ever watched, especially after how bad that Chelsea match was last week as well. At the same same, it was the I, same match. Like it was pretty much the same match, except Arsenal had a bit more of a go of it than Chelsea did, which is well, probably they didn't play as many. Better. They didn't play as many long balls as Chelsea, in fairness to them, and they stuck to their passing out from the back at all times mentality. I think, in fairness, Manchester United. The only times they actually created anything in the match is when they played a ball over the top. And the first half, Rashford played an incisive ball to to Greenwood, who who finished, you know, you know, got a shot off. And uh, other than that, it was long balls late in the match, I think. And uh, the one that Elneny accidentally kicked against his goalkeeper's face and hit the post uh, that came from a long ball across to Maguire or Matic, I think. So yeah, there's. I think it was slightly better than last week because I don't think Chelsea engaged in anything close to attacking football last week, um, but. Yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from in terms we, of We are uh, extremely despair. splitting hairs on what was two absolutely dreadful matches and I want my three hours back because, like, you know, I've... Mike Dean? I, yeah, Mike you Dean know? was a bit more entertaining. You know, I thought he had an okay game, a couple of weird decisions here and there. Um, but I suppose I just have general issues with refereeing and permitting at the moment with yellow cards and, you know, them being given out seemingly at random. There, yeah, there's no consistency in it at all. And if there was, if there were to be consistency, there would be a lot more red cards in the match because there was Gabriel, who I think won man of the match for, for Arsenal, could have easily been sent off uh, for a tackle on Greenwood. But in the same vein, Fred got booked early and then made a couple of more fouls and where they were strategic in their in their nature, tactical almost, and could have easily been sent off for, for very soft, uh, a soft booking, considering how soft his first booking was. And then you had you know a lot of players play acting as well in terms of trying to get players sent off uh, Rashford went down a bunch of times during the match as did Saka I think as well and trying to get something out of Wamba Saka a few times and you're like everyone's at this in, in the game at the moment and it's kind of annoying to watch but uh, if the referees aren't going to be consistent I suppose that kind of play acting and trying to get someone sent off and try to you know get the edge on their opposition is going to continue like I just thought this was a performance that was just so damning of everything that everyone has ever criticised Solskjaer of over the last two years. Like this was actually his 100th match yeah. uh, as Man United manager, which kind of surprised me when I heard that at the start of the match because it just doesn't feel like he's managed that many games. Uh, and it feels like I've watched 80 of those matches play out in the exact same way and then the 20 or the few good performances he's had, like the few at the start, because I assume that includes the interim. Uh, spell that he oh, had yeah, like, yeah. Th- th- those yeah, f- first few 10 11 games are good and he's had a few good results you know midweek 5-0 win against Robbie Leipzig I would count that as one of the 20 pretty good performances that he's yeah. had and then 80 really stodgy really slow uh, predictable ponderous football where uh, it's very obvious that there is no game plan other than let the other team have the ball and then try to counterattack them and then when that other team doesn't want the ball and give, gives Man United the ball because they're Man United playing at Old Trafford uh, which is, you know, the established order of how things should be. Man, I should have the ball at Old Trafford. They just don't know what to do with it. Um, yeah. You know, like, it's just, it played out perfectly for Arteta, you know, because one of the few things that he has legitimately done very well at Arsenal is make them very defensively solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, they didn't create anything, uh, you know, neither nope. did Manchester United. 
but then, you know, they got the luck of Paul Pogba stupidly diving in on Hector Bayern in the box, which goes back to our whole thing of, like, why are defenders so stupidly giving away penalties in the box? Like, you know, it's a defined area in which you're not supposed to foul anyone very specifically because it gives away a high chance at a goal from nothing um so that was very stupid you know i think pogba came out and said he was a little low on breath kind of alluding to the fact that he had coronavirus and calls into question again why is he playing a full 90 minutes of match played 90 minutes yeah and, and he played 90 minutes against Orby leipzig as well yeah. so like that just seems so pointless and reckless from solskjaer um and you but know i think solskjaer all over and i think like, you know it's very similar to last week as well i think there was a lot of fear uh, from both teams last uh, last week in the Man United Chelsea match, and that both managers were afraid of what would happen when they lose, uh, and both teams were kind of just waiting for that penalty. I think it was very similar this week as well. Like Arteta's had some bad results lately. You know, we talked about the mm-hmm. Leicester game last week. They lost to Liverpool. They lost to what was the other game? City. They lost City. Yeah. Man, yeah. Um. So like you know, a fourth defeat in in four or five games would be very bad for him. Uh, they got he got he got he got the look at the draw of the penalty you know that just happens you know and that's what being defensively solid gets you is he keeps you in these games and then you get those uh, decisions that go your way and those you know stupid defensive moments that go your way uh, so fair play to Arteta for that um, I still think he's got serious issues up front you know the whole stuff with Aubameyang like why is he like Aubameyang like all of his stats show that he's not getting in the right positions he's not getting the same chances as he was and he's playing so far on the left and it just seems like he's overthinking the whole idea of playing Aubameyang like you know it can just be as simple as playing him up front sometimes um, you know Lacazette's not playing very well I don't think Anketi has really shown enough to be a starter at a, at a top four Premier League club um, you know he's decent off the bench mm. but I, I don't think he's done enough as a starter um, so like you know I have issues with where Ted is going I think he did do well today Gabriel as I said has been a good signing and has helped make Arsenal more defensively solid and he had a very good game today uh, but Solskjaer absolutely played into his hands and, and I thought it was very funny that Richard Pochettino is going to be on uh, Monday Night Football tomorrow night or you know if you're mm-hmm. listening to this tonight uh, on Monday um, so <laughs> that uh, that there's just a position there as well that uh, Pochettino is going to be in the Sky Studio or whatever setup they have for Monday Night Football while Man United play as terribly as they just did. And the contrast with how they played on Wednesday night just goes to show like Solskjaer does only know how to set up one game. Like he, he can set up that one game very well and you know he went he switched to a diamond on, on Wednesday which some fans had been calling for Manchester United to do and, and it worked and Van der Beek got to play and a lot of fans have been calling for him to play uh, he played quite well you know he, he worked in the system and helped uh, with the first goal and helped you know keep Man United defensively solid from up front but then he set up the same against Arsenal despite the fact that Arsenal played a completely different way to Orbe Leipzig really and it didn't really make any sense uh, took ages for him to make a sub and then it was bring on Maddich for Fred and Fred in general was just terrible anyway and again as another player that played 90 minutes against Orby Leipzig and then 60 minutes here like yeah. it, it's just it's just haphazard squad management it doesn't make any sense there's no real cohesion as you said it then you know affects their performances because they don't really know what to do with the ball yeah um, like there's a lot to unpack there I suppose I'm to go back to the start of it I think the in the build-up to this match as you discussed there was talk of the the good old days and everything like that but there was also talk 
especially from Gary Neville, which was like, oh, this, you know, when the camera would zoom in on Solskjaer and they'd say, oh, this, you know, he's in a way different position than he was a few weeks ago. And it's like, well, he isn't really. He had a horrific match against Chelsea. And then after, this is after the 6-1, obviously alluding to that. 6-1? Yes. Was it yeah. 6-1 in that, yeah, that yeah, match? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I just trying to remember, was it 6-1 or 5-1? But yeah, 6-1 in that match against Spurs and then obviously the draw against Chelsea and then coming into, well, in between that, having the wins in Paris and then at Leipzig. Champions League football at the moment in the Premier League is very different. Um, the teams in the, in the Champions League play very attacking they play without much abandon for their 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 backline. They're playing like a Leipzig. Their ma- massive mistake that they made, especially after going behind, was continuing to play with their defense about forty yards away from goal. Even though Manchester United had trebled up on players in that zone, and that's kind of how United picked off all the 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 kind of the icing on the or the cherry on top of the icing on the cake for the for the victory against Leipzig. And you're right, they can't go into doing that in a in a match against a team that plays a completely different style of football that's a lot more defensively sound than Leipzig are at the moment and and Paris for that matter and don't give away much space in their own half and that's what Arsenal do so it seemed a bizarre decision to put in a diamond when Arsenal are clearly going in playing a a fairly robust movable because Partey and Elneny are both mobile players even if they are a bit slow they still get around they cover a lot of ground in the match they're going to get at your players and if you only have McTominay and Fred and you're kind of playing with a pivot you know at Fred as your deepest line player with kind of Pogba playing in a weird place between the lines that doesn't really work for him and McTominay on the other side not knowing anything about what he's doing effectively playing a a double team on on Saka and Aubameyang and it didn't really work usually it just actually created more space for one of them to run into because they they congested the the field too much it it really does beg a belief of what Solskjaer thought he was going to play against this week I know their manager's great in the past have said it's not about what the other team does it's about how we play our own football and we have to dominate the game and impart our our game on them and on the match in general but it it definitely didn't work today in 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 this Manchester United Arsenal match and I think he given the media attention that that Solskjaer gets and the kind of friends he has in the media especially like I alluded to Gary Neville already saying that oh everything's changed from at the beginning of this match and it really hadn't and he really should be under an immense amount of pressure for not making this work like you bring up Paul Pogba he gave away another penalty Um, he played 90 minutes during the week he played 90 minutes again today he complained of suffering for respiratory issues which is like if a player is doing that like I'm not sure if Paul Pogba is being that like is playing a long mind game and is preparing himself for the next manager or his next club and kind of making excuses for a performance. I, I'm I'm on the side of, of giving him the benefit of the doubt with this and he's actually was just struggling for breath at that point. He still played another half an hour. Like what 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 was going on? Like they had subs to come off. Like that that's that's bizarre. And then the other side of it is leaving Mar- Marcus Rashford on for ninety minutes when he, he looked a bit off the pace as the match went on. He looked a bit tired doing the age-old thing of uh, put on as many attacking players as possible they ran out of attacking players and they replaced Mad- Fred with Madic and it, it just it just doesn't make much sense and, and Van de Beek while an attacking player is someone who doesn't he's not necessarily the most attacking player I don't think he's like for like Bruno Fernandes and w- he was completely anonymous did he even touch the ball uh, in the time he was on the field I don't remember him touching the ball um yeah, there's a lot of weird decisions in that match, that, and we don't even have to go into the shape of Harry Maguire, Lindelof, who who don't neither of them look comfortable on the ball. Long balls being played from De Gea consistently to nobody. Uh, Fred and Pogba 
dropping so deep into their defenders to get the ball because they weren't getting it otherwise it's it's football that doesn't even remind you of like a soak city because that actually has a function and a form to it it's football of like these lads have all been put on the field together and they're trying to figure out what to do while they're there and that that is very worrying i like we can go talk about the Arsenal side of things as well and I agree with a lot of what you said on that but I think Manchester United is definitely the more pressing concern because he's been there 100 matches now you can't identify a, a clear style of football I don't think you can identify a, an improvement in the in their game I think you can possibly identify a disimprovement in a lot of the players like I think Juan Bissaka was probably a better player when he joined Manchester United than he is now I think Paul Pogba most definitely was um, and it's not down to age and it's not down to these players getting bad overnight I think it's down to the way they've been deployed in matches yeah like one thing that really stands out for me watching my eye lately particularly in these last two matches is that the disparity in quality in just ability on the ball between yeah. the front four and the back six is massive it's so and the goalie big. and the yeah, goalie no, and because the, uh, that's become yeah, so important the in the in the modern game like David De Gea he's a shot stopper he's a big goalie he gets in his way a lot but he cannot distribute the ball well long or short he doesn't come out of his box he doesn't command his penalty area and I know a lot of people love David De Gea and have done for a long time and I I admit he in for a certain amount of seasons in the last decade he has saved Manchester United from a lot worse fate than the seventh place I think was their lowest finish he's really kept United in that in that top six top four race in, at times in the in in seasons but he's not part of the new wave of goalkeepers he's not part of the modern modern game but sorry go on like just seeing you know sometimes when you watch on TV it, it's not obvious who the ball is about to go to like it can be a bit of a loose mm-hmm. ball and the player isn't in frame yet and you think like there's such a difference between thinking is this going to fall to Bruno Fernandes and something might happen or is this going to fall to Fred and I'm going to just sigh having to watch Fred kick a football because it looks yeah. like it is torturous for him trying to kick a football sometimes like and he's a professional athlete like this is what he does for a living he kicks a football for a living why does it look so difficult for him Scott McTominay Aaron Wan-Bissaka yeah. like you even know, Matic who's a good who's probably their most naturally passing player in midfield which is a sad state of affairs because Pogba doesn't have that range of passing either. He doesn't have that... that He might have vision, but he doesn't have that uh, metronomic quality in his passing that you may associate with the, the Michael Carrigs of this world. It, it is something very much lacking from, from their game. And then, like, talking about the diamond formation, like, you know, as, as a formation generally in football, the conventional wisdom is you need a lot of work from your wide players at fullback and their yeah. two fullbacks are Luke Shaw and Aaron Wan-Bissaka like they're just not good enough for that formation so that's just another reason yeah. why that shape did not work and the first half they were an absolute mess in that shape the gaps between players were absolutely massive whenever someone got on the ball it looked like they didn't know what they were going to do with it because no one was actually around them to even just give a short little pass to like the amount of time then in the second half when they did change formation to 4-2-3-1 and there was a bit better shape and you know they did start the second half a bit better than they played in the entire first half they created a couple of shots uh, that didn't really lead to anything but there was still the problem remained where you would get Fred to have the ball in midfield and he would very slowly pass it to Scott McTominay who would then very slowly pass it to Luke Shaw who would look at it for a couple (laughs) of seconds stand (laughs) on it and hit a long ball he wouldn't even hit the long ball because they do that sequence again for another six seven goals and then they hit the long ball out of frustration or impatience or whatever you'd see Bruno Fernandes drop to being the deepest player on the entire team and he's supposed Mm. to be playing in the 10th position behind two strikers and he yeah he's completely 
completely isolated from the game then. He can't play back there. Yeah, because he can't pass to himself 60 yards up the yeah. field. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, it, it begs belief. Like, yeah. what are they trying to do? It I just think, makes I th- no sense. I think crucial, like, if you want to look at specific moments during the match, it's, like, you can you can look at it like bad communication, bad, uh, how else would you say it, bad composure. There was a, a free kick, I think, in the in the first half for Arsenal, which was like just inside Manchester United's half, or it might have just been a loose ball across into the box. Uh, it wasn't going anywhere. De Gea has called for it. He's come out and called for it, and Harry Maguire knocks it away, and De Gea jumps up and down because yeah. he's obviously a call has been ignored, and there is no response from Harry Maguire. He's the captain. There's no high fives. There's no talking to each other. You know, as in, you know, okay, we we move on. You know, a mistake has been made, and we move on. We take the corner. But nothing of that. So you, you can see there's a bit of disharmony brewing in that defence. There's very little communication between the players during the match. Another one in the second half, I think it was early on, in one of the, probably in one of these sequences you're talking about, of them retaining the ball for a bit of time. And like it was better in the first half. But I remember it going back between Maguire and Lindelof, and Lindelof looking so uncomfortable with the ball at his feet, not knowing what to do. And I think he launched it at one stage. But like well Lindelof, clear of Lindelof and Maguire are supposed to be ball playing centre backs. That they were, that's <laughs> what they were signed as. That's what they were. No. Hyped up to be, and they've never ever looked like no. that at Manchester United. No. no, and you can only need to contrast it and and to to Arsenal, and maybe it is a case of coaching because you're looking at Rob Holding, who is all right on the ball, but he was receiving the ball and you know within six yards of his goalkeeper with two Manchester United players bearing down on him. He obviously didn't always perform that well on the ball, and but he got it away in those cases and not lumping it. He passed it back to the keeper or back to the other side of the field, and everything moved on that way. And it's like, okay, is this is this because Rob Holding is suddenly better than Harry Maguire? Why isn't he in the England team? No, it's because he's probably coached better, and the whole structure of the team is designed around passes being made and received by everyone on the field, not just the Bruno Fernandez or Marcus Rashford. Because I, I'm, I'd say we could go back on the stats. Like there was a couple of runs for Paul Pogba from deep, but for most of the match, he was covering left back as as Shaw trying to break forward and kind of provide that width you're talking about. He didn't do well in those roles, and. Other than that, I'm trying to think. I'm like anyone else play good attacking forward passes. Other than the long balls that that littered Arsenal's box for the last ten minutes of the match, I don't think so. And like you talk about the communication, and, and that that moment did stand out for me with Harry Maguire and David Ayer. And Day looked so angry in that moment. Mm. There was another incident in the last match against Chelsea where I think it was about 70-75 minutes in Bruno Fernandes was out on the left after having just taken a corner and the ball had come out of the box back out to midfield and Luke Shaw passed it to Bruno Fernandes and Bruno Fernandes very obviously points at Luke Shaw and tells him do an overlapping run and Luke Shaw just looks at him and goes no and then Bruno Fernandes passes it back to Fred in midfield and they go again and like this is symptomatic of everything we're saying that the players are made up as they go along because they're not being yeah. coached how to play attacking football and that is what the modern game looks like and it's just the more that they play like this like they play Everton next week and then after the international break they play West Brom and I think the home I think it's a home game against West Brom and a away game to, to Everton and I actually think they have a better chance away at Everton than they do at home to West Brom because the way they're playing yeah. at home is just so bad and I I, like I, Everton have to get a result you know they're they two do. matches down yeah. they do and Everton I think play poorly today uh, particularly because yeah. you know they're missing Richardson, Luka Dean missing Rodriguez. five players they're yeah. missing all of their key players so they should be probably missing those players yeah. again against Manchester United and it is away from home so they can kind of set up more defence Lucas Sinier will be them. back I think yeah I think he's still suspended and yeah, I think so is Richarlison yeah. I think Hamas might I, you're be probably back. right you're probably right 
Um, no, Din- but then, Dinier got his. It's it's been receded back to one game, but he'll be back. But yeah, okay. the other guys, yeah, will probably be out. Coleman and uh, Richardson and Hamas will all still be out. And yeah, but, it'll, but it'll then, be tough for Everton but, that match. But go on. But then they play West Brom, who I think we can all agree are prime candidates to get relegated this year. Have looked pretty dreadful, except yeah. for that first forty-five minutes against Chelsea, where they blew them away and were three 0 up. But they still drew that game three all, and I still think West Brom yeah. will probably do Man United at home as well, uh, just because that's <laughs> the state of where Man United are at. They don't know how to break down these teams. Uh, yeah. They don't even look like they're happy playing football at all. Like you know, it's just it's such a contrast as well because like you would think. You know, this time yesterday, before the match had even been played, you'd think going into recording this, we'd be praising Man United. They did just win 5-0 against <laughs> Orby Leipzig. But as you say, Orby Leipzig just put it up on a plate for them. That high line that yeah. they played was suicidal. Like, look at that second goal. Marcus Rashford was called offside because, you know, he was in an offside position in terms of where the players stood in a line. But, you know, he was also in his own half. That's how high up... Yeah. Uh, Leipzig were playing. Leipzig just, were, yeah. Which no is just one suicidal. in their own half for the keeper. Yeah, like and and to give to give Manchester, this is a bit of balance to this conversation. And we brought up the Dundalk Arsenal match as well last week in, in the Europa League. That if you want to contrast those matches, Manchester United would not have scored five goals uh, if they played the way Arsenal played against Dundalk. If Man United played against Dundalk, they probably would have scored ten goals because the freedom of the attacker players to do whatever they wanted created uh, these kind of opportunities for them if if that was Arsenal against Leipzig they would have had 11 behind the ball and they would have broken out from attack very gradually moved the ball from left to right and back again meanwhile Manchester United could just play a quick long ball through the middle and Marcus Rashford could use his pace and he scored and similar things happened for the the high pressing that United a few United players did in that match to lead to other goals it's you know to give them their dues that like having that freedom up front does create the opportunities for goals to be scored and it's something that Jose Mourinho promotes as well and that's why Spurs do what they do this season and have done this season and will continue to do this season because the freedom that's been awarded to Song and Harry Kane and whoever else plays in that triumphant up front uh, for for Tottenham the problem is is when you play against quality sides or when you play against sides that aren't making silly stupid mistakes the way Leipzig did in the week and the way Paris did to an extent the week before when they kind of just left massive gaps for United to exploit good teams shut down those type of attacks good teams don't make those kind of mistakes and that's kind of what's happened to Manchester United in their home games this season Crystal Palace tremendously organised don't give away too many mistakes did they concede a penalty in that match was that a penalty in that match but they they still came back and won that match. Chelsea didn't really attack anything, but didn't give away anything because they've sorted themselves out defensively. They've got a better keeper there who's not throwing the ball into the back of the net. Who was the other team uh, United played this season at home? Uh, Chelsea, in that Chelsea game. Was it Chelsea, Crystal Palace, and who was the other one? Um, oh, Tottenham. Tottenham. Tottenham, obviously. And Tottenham, you know, they threw away their own goal in the first minute, gave United a break, and then what, Harry Maguire tackling Luke Shaw to give away a goal, penalties being given, Pogba fouling people, just just indiscipline, no structure, no attacking mentality, no ability to control a match, which is a massive thing for Manchester United. They don't know how to, you know, uh, what, 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 uh, there was a term Jose Mourinho had when he was at his peak, and it was it was revolutionary at the time in the Premier League because previous to him the Premier League was frenetic. The ball would always be going end to end, end to end. It was almost like basketball. When Mourinho came in, he was like, "No, no, we're not doing that anymore. We've got a one 0 lead. We're slowing this game down, and we're passing the ball and we're walking." 
for however long we can. We're going to slow, we're going to rest football. I think it was resting football is what he called it. United don't have the capability to do that at all because they don't have the players who can rest on the ball in their team. They don't have one, as we said earlier, they have one you know, kind of calm, cool, collected passer of the ball in that side. Yeah, like when there's a very specific and obvious way to nullify a club of the stature and size of Man United, uh, which is to sit behind the ball, let them have it, let them try to create their their chances. Um, Like that's when you know something is seriously wrong. Like not every team plays like that. You know, sometimes they do play against a side like Orby Leipzig. Or Man City. Or Man City or whoever else. Like they they played some really good games under Solskjaer. Like they did yeah. City three times last year. They did Chelsea three times last year. They've gotten some really good results under Solskjaer. They've played some really good stuff at times, but it's not been enough. They don't do it. They don't grind out those wins we were talking about earlier. They don't win two one against West Ham. They don't win two one against Sheffield United. They don't win one nil against Sheffield United. No. In the way that Liverpool and and Man City do. The way that and, teams have to do it if they want yeah. to compete at the top end of the table. And, like, last season you could maybe forgive it because they were able to get their way to a third-place team with an okay side uh, when a league title was definitely not up for grabs because there were two very superior teams to them. This year there's no specific great team. Their squad is better. uh, And now having an an okay manager is not acceptable for a club of the stature and size of Man United. The amount of money that they've spent, it's just not okay. It's not a good way to run a club. It's not going to lead to success. And the writing will be on the wall for Solskjaer soon if they can't figure out a way to perform better than this. But again, we come back to what I said a few minutes ago about his friends in the media and Gary Neville framing this as, uh, oh, you know, this isn't, he's in an amazing place now compared to where he was two weeks ago. And I don't think his place has changed at all. But the narrative now is that he's in a better place and this is only another setback. It's not the it's not another symptom in the eventual demise of Solskjaer's Manchester United there's just one other thing which um I wanted to mention on this because a few weeks ago we talked about the tough time Man United were going to have in the, in the coming weeks and they've kind of come through it as well as you could have expected uh you know they did you know if you look at the end of points total we maybe we don't look at the the six one they lost to um to Tottenham in that in that group but you know they've beaten Paris Saint-Germain they've beaten Leipzig they've done as well as they could do in the Champions League better than everyone probably expected them to do they're on course to at least qualify from the group which is you know it was it was touch and go you know a team that made the final and semi-final of the Champions League last season in the same group with them and you'd think they'd struggle to get out of the group but now they look they're poised to qualify from it but then you look at the league and you're like oh this is this is bad you made a point about the the players he chooses to use, the Pogba being played for 90 minutes again. This is what happened in the tail end of last season when they got that third place finish. They played the same players every week. That time it, it worked for them because other teams didn't really know how to cope with lockdown football. They're, they wanted, okay, do we want to balance our teams and rest a few players here and there because we're playing so many matches. No one's quite match fit. And Manchester United hit on this winning run of kind of, okay, we're going to play everyone. Everyone's going to get match fit and we're all going to know each other really well and we're going to create attacks and we're going to take advantage of teams not playing their strongest 11 constantly against us. And they went and got third place in the league. He tried doing that again this season and it just doesn't work the same when everyone else is a, has a bit more thinking space on them. It's like Solskjaer thinks one way it works for him and then he continues with that way he doesn't adapt to what's going on he doesn't adapt to changing circumstances and I think that's very obvious in his his style of management Thank you. It's a 
Champions League group stages reaches its midpoint this weekend, or this midweek rather. Uh, the big games will focus on Group B, as we kind of mentioned, with Real Madrid and Milan being a big one. But, you know, the one between PSG and RB Leipzig, which was a semi-final last year, as you kind of alluded to earlier, that that's going to be a big game as well, considering the uh, position Man United have gotten themselves into. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because basically one of these teams can be knocked out in the next two weeks. Yeah, like, you know, it is a bit awkward that there's a international break in the middle of it, but, uh, like, they do, these two, these games now are back-to-back, so, um, you know, PSG will play Leipzig, and then Leipzig will play, P- play PSG. PSG? Say, say that ten times in a row, eh? Hey, hey. PSG, PSG, PSG. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of you know that is what makes the Champions League group stage so interesting is that they all play each other twice and they don't and they play mm. them in a weird order. I, I, I don't know where they came up with this order, but it's always mm. it's been of, like this for like twenty years now. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Uh, but it's always been a better formula than just playing one two three one two three. I found to play one two three oh, yeah, four yeah. two one, one two whatever it is. Um, Do you know what's better again? Just play knockout. <laughs> yeah, where those days are gone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, you know PSG you know there's there's games for both days which is something and again if it went in doubt go to the goal show Atlanta yeah. Liverpool could be a good one as well yeah I fancy Atlanta to be quite honest at this point because even though their form hasn't been consistent so to speak this season Atlanta um, they're still extraordinarily good in attack and if they hit Foreman during that match, and it's it's really about hitting Foreman during a match, not in a in a run of matches for Atalanta, uh, they could tear apart this Liverpool defence, this makeshift Liverpool defence, uh, especially if they get behind the fullbacks of Liverpool who have, you know, they're at one stage the key to Liverpool's attack, but they're also could be the key to their downfall with the, the makeshift centre-back pairing that they have at the moment. And Liverpool do have six points from six, so they are in a bit of a comfortable position because they do play Man City next week as well, which is a mm. huge game, uh, I suppose. Like they've had such a an intense rivalry over the last three four years, and and now we're still uncertain. Are they the two going for that? Like we kind of default have them there because that's what we're used to, but we don't really know. Are they the two best teams in England at the moment? Uh, so this could be a huge match in terms of the title race. Yeah, and we said it a few weeks ago when City started later in the season, they can't really afford to fall behind any further than they have done. Um, Liverpool haven't had the best start of the season. They've obviously lost that crazy match that's in Villa, and they drew with Everton. But you know, apart from that, they've been fairly cruising, so to speak, even with all the injuries they've been having. Uh, Man City haven't been cruising as much. They've had to labour to a lot more of their results in City ha- than Liverpool have, and they have dropped points at the same time as well. So. Uh, it is my assumption that these guys are still the best two teams in the, in England and they're still going to be the top two come the end of the season but if Liverpool do pull out a result into this you could be looking at City and, and Pep could be looking at City in the league campaign and saying okay is this what we want to focus on or do we want to try and do Europe again and do it properly this year I don't think they'll have that luxury <laughs> to, to be honest but I think that you know Pep could start thinking about that if a bad result comes this weekend yeah, it, it it certainly, you know, the fact that it's on the Etihad as well kind of adds another layer to it as well because Liverpool actually have a pretty poor record at the Etihad in recent years. I think in the matches between Pep and, and Klopp, it's 12-2 to Man City with a couple of weird results in there. Of course, yeah. 5 nil a few years ago when Mane got sent off and then I think it was, what was yeah. it 4-1 there last season when the league was already decided. Yeah. Um, so a couple of weird results there but you know the 2-1 that happened around New Year's the year that they only a point decided it, that was... Yeah. One of the best Premier League games in years in terms of yeah. uh, tension and, and not knowing what would happen next and relating to the title race. So, you know, if we get another match like that, that would be of supreme quality uh, and would certainly alleviate the kind of bore of the last couple of weeks. Um, 
I, uh, I think we might I have to settle to a more like it's weird like in, in my mind I see it as kind of a chaotic game but uh, just the last couple of weeks being so boring has my has me kind of second guessing that or maybe this will just be another nil nil draw like that Anfield game a few years ago I think yeah, it's the it same could, season that 2-1 uh, which it is could, just dreadful yeah it could go either way like we're we're looking it'll be nine matches in the, in the previous like four weeks by the time uh, this fixture comes across for both teams which will it take the toll on their players and if it does, it'll either be one of those dour nil all esque draws, or it'll be a crazy match and be five four because no one can defend anymore, and it's just lads having pop shots from outside the box and going in. Um, I think Allison's return has, has kind of stabilised Liverpool's defence somewhat. Even keep cope, you know, it gives a bit more reassurance given that the, they've lost uh, a lot of their defensive cover even after losing Virgil Van Dijk. Um, and then on the other side, Man City still don't really have a core to their team, and they might be missing Fernandinho. So there's a there is definitely, uh, I think it's going to be a very even match uh, this weekend. And I think both teams are missing important players. But as a result, both teams kind of have that wildcard factor going for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it anyway. You know, it can't be any worse than uh, the last couple of you, weeks. You say you know. that, you say that, but it could be even worse. Uh, uh, that's kind of the big game in the league as well. You know, we touched on, you know, Man United and Everton as well. Chelsea mm. and Sheffield United, Crystal Palace, Leeds. Nothing else really um, standing out as we head into the final week before the international break. Yeah, it's just going to be, um, given that there's another, what, how many, seven teams competing in Europe this week? I think the majority of those games, seven of them at least, well, maybe five of them, six of them, because the teams who are playing each other, uh, who also play in Europe, will be very kind of slow pace, very what we've come to be used to in the, in the lockdown period of kind of walking football, to use the analogy from the previous part. And I don't expect to see a lot of goals, but hopeful for that Manchester United, Manchester City Liverpool match. And uh, that'll do us then for this week's Total Football podcast. Uh, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for coping with this, Declan. I know this has been a tough week with you and your brick. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, I'll rest easy with my brick, and hopefully, I won't need to take it out again this week. Yes, uh, hopefully. Until then, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to tell your family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. The show can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. You can also subscribe to my own Substack at declanhart.substack.com, where I publish two weekly newsletters that will often go further in-depth on topics discussed during our shows. Those pieces can also be found on Medium at medium.com slash at cheesyheartbun, H-I-R-T-E. You can also follow Andrew on Twitter at Kanban27 and myself at CheesyArchbon. Most of all, thank you for listening and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.